0: So this is part two of the April 2017 Topics in Biblical Finances and today we're talking about the wealth transfer that the Bible speaks of. One of multiple wealth transfers that have already taken place in the Bible, but there's a future wealth transfer to come. And that's the one that we're talking about. And uh, so this is session two. Uh, We mentioned about the church being properly funded. Uh, Satan knows that when the church is properly funded, it's going to be the end of the kingdom of darkness this evangelization of the world uh... is going to be partly accomplished through television and crusades but it's also going to involve uh... you know ministries on the local level teaching the word of god um, and it's going to take more money than the church and its members now control building of bible schools and so forth, uh, Satan has deceived us into believing there's there's insufficiency in the world, and that we have to live our lives in this insufficiency. That's a lie. Uh, you know, as far as the Lord's coming back for us, you know, part. Uh, part of his reason for the delay in his coming, I believe, is to give more people the opportunity to get saved. It's part of the mercy of God to give He's extending the time to give people an opportunity to, to be saved. Uh, but I also believe um, that it's part uh, of using this time to prepare and equip the church financially to fund the cost of this end-time revival. <coughs> so that's what we're doing, we're, we're getting uh, equipped and prepared uh, in the financial arena, arena to, to take our role in this. Now, uh, obviously every Christian will not participate in this wealth transfer. Uh, every Christian is not faithful <coughs> Every Christian doesn't even believe that we should have any extra money. You know, they don't believe in any surplus of prosperity. They, they'll tell you money's not important um, and other things that lies that they believe, you know. But, um, but yet they work out there thir- 35, 40 hours a week trying to get some of it, but they'll tell you it's not important. You know, uh, but so many believers who do not believe that this is uh, of God will not participate in this wealth transfer. They will be spectators on the sideline, and they'll just be spectating. Uh, You know, people can say, well, I don't believe... This is going to happen. This is just you know you just made this up. This is just part of your uh, extreme uh, you know teaching on finances and and all this. You're just making this up. Well, that's not going to change the Bible. You know I mean they don't have to believe this is going to happen in the future. But that's not going to change the Bible. That's not going to change the fact that it's going to happen anyway. What People need to decide, are they going to be part of it or are they not going to be part of it? You know, that's the decision we have to make. Are we going to be spectators on the sideline or are we going to be participators? Well, I want to participate in this. I don't want to sit on the sideline and just watch other people be involved in the things of God. I want to be a participator. But uh, so this is not going to, uh, this is not going to happen to every individual Christian or every church, you know, within the body of Christ. There's, there's, will be a specific group of people that who have made the decision to be a part of this. And uh, I've already made that decision, amen, and I believe I'm going to have some people join me, amen, hallelujah, because this is all part of, uh, you know, God's plan for us as individuals and God's plan for the body of Christ and to finance this great harvest of people that that need to come in here in the last days. You walk into any church that has any serious intentions of fulfilling the Great Commission and there are some. (laughs) Uh, A lot of them are not really involved in the Great Commission. They have other functions in the community, maybe they're a museum or they're a, a uh, you know, they have recitals, uh, they serve as a venue for recitals in the community and that kind of thing, but they're not really involved in the Great Commission, but churches who are serious about being involved in the Great Commission, you'll find out that one of the major things that slows them down uh, in terms of fulfilling the Great Commission is a lack of money. I mean you can go to almost you know, any church uh, and, and that's what they're struggling with the most is a matter of money. There's not a lack of money. There's not a lack of preachers. There's not a lack of Bibles. You know, uh, but so that's not the problem as far as the Great Commission evangelizing the world. we got plenty of preachers. we got plenty of Bibles. But we don't have plenty of money yet. And that's the, the major obstacle that most ministries face. So that's why producing another generation of Christians who are struggling to have just enough or satisfied with just enough is not going to get the job done. We can't just keep propagating one generation after another you know, of believers that are satisfied with just having enough. It's not going to get the job done. So, let's say this together. Having enough for myself is not having enough. This I've got enough attitude is an evil seed sown into our thinking by the devil. You need enough for you, enough to, to generously support every minister God directs you to support. Uh, have you heard of Amy Simple MacPherson? Yes. She was the founder of the Four Square denomination uh, in America. I guess it's worldwide now, but she founded the Four Square denomination in America. She owned the first privately owned radio station in California. She bought land to build a TV station in 1925. In 1925, the technology was not even there for television. <laughs> now that lady had some kind of a vision, didn't she? she? She bought land to build a TV station, but regardless of how much money she had, the technology for TV was not there. But that's no longer the case. All the technology necessary to evangelize the world, it's already developed, and it's already in place. Coca-Cola, McDonald's have already evangelized the world. They have. They've evangelized the world. Uh, you can go to the remotest islands of the Philippines and you can walk in and buy a Coke out in the middle of nowhere. Why? Because Marketing. Getting the word out advertisements you know uh, even reaching the the, the outermost islands of, of these remotest places you can walk in and buy a coke uh, you know you know they they've harnessed this ability uh, you know to uh, to advertise themselves but a church that has been re- rendered ineffective and unable to move forward in power due to a lack of of proper funds is not going to get the job done. Hallelujah. The world has already been evangelized by Coca-Cola, McDonald's, and Mickey Mouse. Is there anybody in the world that yeah. hadn't heard of Mickey Mouse? No. Why? In the 1930s, Walt Disney accessed the technology of the motion picture and evangelized the world with Mickey Mouse in less than 20 years. What's the difference between Coca-Cola, McDonald's, Walt Disney, and the church? Money. That's the only difference, money. We got a better message than they've got. I mean, Coke will quench your thirst for a few hours. A Happy Meal will fill you up for a few hours and Mickey Mouse will make you smile for a few hours, but that's it, you know what I mean? We got a much better message. We're talking about a message that will change people's eternal destiny and the quality of their life here in this lifetime. In the 1980s, it was calculated that it cost $3 to win a person in Africa To the Lord. For $3, you could take a person out of the kingdom of darkness and move them over into the kingdom of God. And then some people say money's not important, and it only takes $3 to get a person saved. You know? The body of Christ cannot grow and minister. Through debt-free churches literature crusades and TV until it produces a new breed of saint that's not satisfied with having enough and who recognizes God has called us to financial blessings that will bring forth abundantly enough only then can we have significant amounts to reach the whole world with our message we cannot let this opportunity slip through our hands. We need a new mentality of abundance an end time generation of believers with an eye open to take, uh, with an eye open to God's takeover of the wealth. Hallelujah. So let's talk about how much wealth is in the world, just to get uh, an overview and to kind of expand our thinking about how much wealth is in the world. In order to have a vague idea of the enormous effects the wealth of the wicked will have upon the church, we need to understand in general rounded terms how much wealth God has deposited in the earth. Uh, Here are some approximate dollar values of some of the common minerals uh, that have been produced in the last, say, 10 or 15 years. Uh, these figures are not right up to date, but they'll give you you know, a general idea of what we're talking about. And I think, uh, if I remember correctly, I think these figures were um, put together by Stanford University Business School in California. So I didn't just dream this up. Uh, This is a dollar value of some of the common minerals. 220 billion dollars of copper in the earth, 50 trillion dollars of gold, 300 billion dollars of silver, 360 billion dollars of aluminum, 600 billion dollars of iron, tin, zinc, and lead. This is a total of 51 trillion dollars, 51 trillion, 480 billion dollars of new wealth. This is what's already in the earth in its raw state. This is not even in usable form. It would be even more valuable. Other common items produced in the same amount of time. $16 trillion of oil. $4 trillion of corn. $19 trillion of meat. Do you think there's an insufficiency in the earth? No. So we don't need to be listening to the news people, do we? $4 trillion of rice, $3.6 trillion of wheat, another total of $46.6 trillion of new wealth. Conservative estimates of worldwide coal reserves are figured at $383 trillion of wealth sitting beneath the earth's surface. Electric energy reserves, not counting coal, $600 trillion. Does this sound like God has deposited enough resources to sustain this earth? Do you think the God of this universe is stupid enough not to know how many people are going to live here for X amount of years and how much provision it's going to take to sustain them? Of course he knew that. There. A lot of these resources are untapped and they have limits put on them by governments to control prices, you know, and to keep nations poor and people poor. Items listed so far, $1,081 trillion in wealth. Now, a trillion is 1,000 billion. Okay, a trillion is 1,000 billion, so I guess a billion would be 1,000 million. In the U.S. alone, it is estimated that 88% of all money legally circulated by the U.S. Mint is currently unaccounted for. 88% of all money produced by the Mint is unaccounted for. Some is overseas. And President Trump is trying to get it back. (laughs) That's one of his plans, is to try to get this money back that's been taken out of the economy, put in overseas countries and these, you know, reservoirs, and to get this money back into the country, back into the economy. Uh, Some of it's in the hand of criminals and drug dealers, but economists speculate that there is so much currency available that a good percentage of it is cash in people's pockets or stashed under the mattress or buried in the backyard. Estimated that, uh, let's see, $134 billion in U.S. currency is unaccounted for. Bill Gates, one, the wealth of one man, estimated at 450 billion dollars according to a 1986 issue of u.s news and world report magazine there was one millionaire in every 100 households in the united states this will give you an idea of how unevenly that wealth is distributed Although millionaires make up only 1% of the population, they hold one-third of the nation's private wealth. They own 60% of the nation's corporate stock. They possess 30% of all interest-bearing assets. They own 9% of the country's real estate. Now here's an interesting statistic. A pro- this is in America. I don't know about England, you guys would know more about this. Approximately 80% of all millionaires come from middle or working class families. In other words, the majority of millionaires in America are not being produced by the rich class. They're not rich people, you know, their kids becoming millionaires because they were rich. They're coming from middle class and uh, working class families. Uh, and it's not inherited either so why am i talking about these things in church so that you can know that wealth is not some distant far off impossible thing but it is a real possibility and it is not as scarce as we are often led to believe you know again you know these agendas put forward about uh, we're running out of space. You know, there's too many, uh, you know, population explosion. We don't have enough room. We're running out of food. We're running out of land and space, blah, blah, blah. Uh, in the there was a study carried out in the 1970s at the request of the Senate Majority Leader of the US Congress. Now, this is kind of hard to get your mind around, but this was a study carried out at his request. Somebody put this study together, and they figured. I mean, let's, I mean, people say today, what, there are 5 billion people? But let's just say, back then, maybe 2 billion, even if there's 2 billion people. They worked out this study. If you took the entire Earth's population and you put 2 and a half feet, between each of them on each side. You left two and a half feet space around each person. You could fit the entire world population in the city limits of Jacksonville, Florida. (laughs) So there's not a shortage of land, is there? There's not a shortage of land. There's not a shortage of space. Even though water makes up a, a lot of the world, you know. Uh, there's not a shortage of space the physical resources of the earth can now support our multiplying humanity at higher standards of living than anyone has ever experienced in the history of man yes there are people in Africa starving in various other parts of the world but it's not because the earth is failing to produce enough food. It's because of man's failure to adequately distribute the food that's being produced. People at the top are creaming off the top and it never gets to the people who need it. Corruption, wicked people, that, that's, it's, it's not the lack of resources. The hunger problem in India is not caused by lack of food. A major cause is their religious beliefs that are contrary to the word of God. In the Hindu religion, they regard cows as sacred and holy, so they don't kill cows, they don't eat cows. Uh, But one cow eats enough food to feed seven people. So if you could get them evangelized, you could take care of the hunger problem in India, couldn't you? The reason I shared these statistics with you is to help destroy our own limited perceptions of how much wealth there really is in this rich world God created. And I hope it will put to rest the devil's doctrine that there's not enough. We need to discern the times that we're living in. We know from Bible prophecy that Satan has an end-time plan. We see that prophecy gradually being fulfilled uh, with the framework for his plan gradually being put into place. Uh, You know, I've talked about this Agenda 21, which I don't even know the real, real fine details about, but that's all part of this one-world system. Um, You know, we have the the European Union and so forth, which many Bible scholars believe to be, uh, you know, part of uh, Daniel's vision, is it Daniel chapter 10, about the beast with the ten horns? Um, that I, I believe that, I believe that's uh, part of that end time prophecy. I mean now there are more than ten countries in the European Union, but eventually, it will be dwindled down to ten countries. But, um, it's, folks, it's not time to, for the Satan's end-time plan to come forth. It's not time for the Antichrist to come forth. It's time for the church to come forth. Amen? It's time for God's plan to come forth. God has an end-time plan. Just as surely as Satan has an end-time plan, God has an end-time plan. And I'm trying to get us focused on a part of God's end-time plan and our involvement in it. And as surely as the prophecies concerning Satan's end-time plan is going to come to pass, the prophecies concerning God's end-time plan is going to come to pass. Is part of God's end-time plan to turn over the wealth of the sinner to the just? We read, what, Proverbs 13, 22. Let me read that again. Proverbs 13, 22. This is not the only verse. We're going to look at some more. Proverbs 13, 22. A good man leaveth an inheritance to his children's children, and the wealth of the sinner is laid up for the just. Could the gold in Fort Knox belong to the Christians? Yeah. Could the stock exchange be controlled by Christians? Could and should the TV networks be controlled by Christians? Instead of us having to crawl to them and beg them and pay them exorbitant amounts of money to get 30 minutes on there. That's not the plan of God. Amen? Could the oil and diamond wealth be in the possession of Christians who would dedicate it to finance the kingdom of God? It does sound ridiculous and far out but isaiah 55 11 says my thoughts are not your thoughts neither are your ways my ways saith the lord that's why we have god's word so we can know his ways amen so we're talking about the god who created this rich abundant earth and he didn't pull it put it here for the devil and his crowd He put it here for his people. Before we accept this transfer of the wealth of the wicked to the righteous as part of God's end-time plan, let's put it to the test by asking two questions. Is it consistent with God's word, and is it consistent with God's nature? If it can pass those two tests, then we better weigh up the scriptural evidence seriously before we make a judgment. So let's look at this uh, scriptural evidence. We just read Proverbs 13:22. The wealth of the sinner is laid up for the just. This is talking about actual real wealth, hard assets. God is currently allowing the sinners to stack up great sums of wealth for the just, let's turn to Proverbs twenty-eight. I got mm-hmm. eleven. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, God's. Uh, well, that's you know, that's just to say God's ways are not our ways, and God's thoughts are not our thoughts. But, but so, it's, it's my word will not return to me void. Yeah. Oops, that one. Yeah, that's all part of the same oh, scripture. And, yeah, my word will not return to me, Thank Lord. You. Yeah, Thank I think you. that that's a continuation. But we have oh, God's okay. Word. It's, it starts at verse 8. Oh, okay. Okay. I just wrote down verse 11, but okay. yeah, thanks. Uh, Proverbs 28, 8. Let's look at that. Scriptural evidence. Proverbs 28, 8. Does anybody have the Amplified Bible? Right, let me read it first from the King James. I didn't write down that. He that by usury and unjust gain increaseth his substance. He shall gather it for him that will pity the poor. Do you have the amplified, Greg? Yeah. Yeah. He, he who orgu- augments his substance by interest and increase it for him who has pity on the board okay. This scripture speaks of God stripping the wealth of cheats racketeers, loan sharks and even so called legitimate lending establishments that charge high interest rates and hidden costs and giving it to those who will pity the poor. Who will pity the poor? The true Christian church. That's who's gonna pity the poor. When we are faithful to distribute it to meet the needs of the poor of this world, God will give it back to us. Let's look at Proverbs 19. Proverbs 19. Verse 17, this is in agreement with what we just read in Proverbs 28. He that hath pity upon the poor lendeth to the Lord. When, when you give to the poor, God considers it to be a loan to him. You're, you're making, God considers that you're making a loan to him. He receives it as a loan when you give to the poor. And this says, And that which he hath given will he pay him again. That which he hath given will he pay him again. When we faithfully fulfill God's financial plan, we set up a cycle of wealth that comes from the wicked to the just to meet the needs of the world and back into the hands of the faithful. It's a cycle. The wicked, the just, The poor, back to the just. Hallelujah. Let's turn over uh, the next book over from Proverbs, which is Ecclesiastes. Just a few pages. We're we're getting together our scriptural evidence to support this. Ecclesiastes 2.26. Does anybody have the NIV? I don't have the idea with me. Uh, Ecclesiastes 2.26 For God giveth to a man that is good in his sight wisdom and knowledge and joy but to the sinner he giveth travail to gather and to heap up that he may give to him that is good before God. God has every lost person out there gathering up and storing up wealth for those who are good before God. Who are those who are good before God? On the saved. Amen. Only people who are saved are declared to be good before God. So that's talking about you and me, the righteous, the just, depending on what translation of the Bible you're reading. I believe that not only is God going to take the wealth from the wicked and give it to the just, but I also believe that God's going to take it from some Christians who don't know what to do with it and are just stacking it up and hoarding it. Read the, read the, go back and read Matthew 25, the parable of talents. What happened to the, the servant that was given one talent of money? He went and buried it and hoarded it up, didn't he? And what, what did the master say when he came back? What did the master say when he came back and he, he asked to give an account to those three servants about what they had done with his money? And the one with the one talent said, oh, I, I knew you were a hard man, and uh, I, buried, I buried mine, I just, I just hoarded it up. What did, what did Jesus say? Take from that one and give it to the one with 10. So, I believe that that even Christians who have just been hoarding up money, they don't have a revelation about this. God's going to take from them and give it to the one with 10. Amen? Hallelujah. Praise God. Isaiah verse 60. Isaiah verse 60, uh, chapter 60, verse 5. Uh, Isaiah 60, verse 5. Uh, Well, really, we have to kind of start at the beginning there. Arise, shine, for thy light is come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and gross darkness, the people. But the Lord shall arise upon thee, and his glory shall be seen upon thee. And the Gentiles shall come to thy light, and kings to the brightness of thy rising. Lift up thine eyes round about, and see, all they gather themselves together. They come to thee, thy son shall come from far, and thy daughter shall be nursed at thy side. Verse 5, Then thou shalt see, and flow together, and thine heart shall fear, and be enlarged. Because the abundance of the sea shall be converted unto thee, the forces of the Gentiles shall come unto thee. Now, the word forces there, in my margin of my Bible, says wealth. The wealth of the Gentiles shall come unto thee. Now, the word sea, there in that verse, S C A. The abundance of the sea shall be converted to thee. Now that could literally mean the abundance of the physical seas, the resources of the physical seas. But uh, in Revelation four, where it talks about the church in heaven, it refers to the church as a sea of glass, a S C A, a sea of glass which means a massive group of people, a sea of people, massive group of people. So you could also uh, look at it that way. Uh, The abundance of the mass of people, masses of people, abundance from masses of people shall be converted unto thee. And the wealth of the Gentiles shall come unto thee. The Amplified Bible says, Then you will see and be radiant, and your heart will tremble with joy and rejoice, because the abundant wealth of the seas will be brought to you, and the wealth of the nations will come to you. Uh, Let's look at chapter 61, just on this next page there, verse 5. And strangers... Shall stand and feed your flocks, and the sons of the aliens shall be your plowmen and your vine dressers. But ye shall be named the priest of the Lord, men shall call you the ministers of our God, ye shall eat the riches of the Gentiles, and their glory shall uh, ye boast, and in their glory shall ye boast yourselves verse 9 and their seed shall be known among the gentiles and their offspring among the people all that see them shall acknowledge them that they are the seed which the lord hath blessed foreigners strangers they're going to unbelievers are going to look at us and they're going to know that we're the blessed of the lord how are they going to know because we're so blessed by God, amen? Because we got the blessings, amen? They're gonna be, you can see prosperity on people. You can see prosperity on people. The Amplified Bible says, all who see them in their prosperity will recognize and acknowledge them that they are the people whom the Lord has blessed. That's another reason why God wants to prosper us, amen? Let's turn to Job 22, it's right before Psalms, Job 22, Job 22 verse 23. If thou return to the Almighty, thou shalt be built up, thou shalt put away iniquity far from thy tabernacles. Then shalt thou lay up gold as dust, and the gold of Ophir as the stones of the brooks. Yea, the Almighty shall be thy defense, and thou shalt have plenty of silver according to the scripture as we turn ourselves from from unrighteousness and turn more toward god and righteous living god intends for us to have gold as abundantly as the stones in a brook and plenty of silver the very nature of god is abundance and not poverty not scarcity not insufficiency you don't see it in the bible you don't see it in the garden of eden at the beginning of creation. Surely this speaks of more than just enough. Turn over a few pages to Job 27. Job 27, 13. This is the portion of a wicked man with God, and the heritage of oppressors which they shall receive of the Almighty. If his children be multiplied, it is for the sword, and his offspring shall not be satisfied with bread. Those that remain of him shall be buried in death, and his widows shall not weep. Though he heap up silver as the dust, and prepare raiment as the clay, he, this is talking about the wicked, he may prepare it, but the just shall put it on, and the innocent shall divide the silver." Amen. This is one of the clearest passages to declare God's intention to give the godly the wealth of the sinners of the world. This tells us the ultimate end of the wicked man's portion with God. His children will be slaughtered. His offspring shall not be satisfied. Though he heaps up silver like dust and fine garments in abundance, The innocent, the blood-washed Christians shall wear them and divide the silver among themselves. There is no reason to envy the prosperity of the wicked. Amen? Let's turn on over to Psalm 73. Psalm 73. Uh, Verse 3. This talks about the prosperity of the wicked. For I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Uh, Look at verse 17. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then understood I their end. Yes, the wicked are prospering now. But we see in the word the end of the wealthy wicked. They are unknowingly involved in a futile operation. They are busy day and night gathering up wealth to give it to the sons and daughters of God. We're receiving some new insight into the nature of God, aren't we? We're finding out that it's uh, God's nature to abundantly bless His children in the material realm. And we haven't just looked at one or two scriptures, have we? We've looked at a number of scriptures. Out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. Now you might say, well, I believe the Bible, and it says the wealth of the wicked's laid up for the righteous. So it must be true. But for wealth to be turned over to the righteous in a wholesale fashion, for wealthy unbelievers to just give their wealth away, I never heard of such a thing. Yes, you have, you've just forgotten about it. Let's turn to the Bible. Turn to Genesis chapter 12. It's already happened, folks. It's already happened before. We're gonna look at some cases right here. Genesis 12, 14 and 15. And it came to pass that when Abram was coming to Egypt, the Egyptians beheld the woman that she was very fair. This is talking about Abram's wa- Abram at that time, his wife Sarai, or Sarah. Uh, she must have been a beautiful woman. Because <laughs> they noticed you got a good-looking wife there, Abram, you know. So um, they're admiring his wife. And... Um, the princes also Pharaoh saw her and commended her before Pharaoh and the woman was taken to Pharaoh's house. So when Abram went into Egypt, Abram told Sarai to tell everyone that she was his sister. Uh, and Pharaoh want, wanted to marry her. verse 16 and he entered and he entreated Abram well for her sake, and he had sheep and oxen and he-asses and men-servants and maid-servants and she-asses and camels. Then uh, Pharaoh finds out that she's really Abram's wife and he tells Abram to take his wife and leave. Verse 20. Um, and Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him and they sent him away and his wife and all that he had. What did just? What did we just read? Sheep, oxen, asses, men servants, maid servants, asses, camels. This is, folks. This is how wealth uh, was measured in the Old Testament: flocks, herds, servants, houses, armies. Uh, this is how prosperity was measured in the Old Testament in terms of material possessions. Today, we don't really use that. We have cash and uh, property and real estate and stocks and bonds and all this. But in the Old Testament, it was, uh, you know, flocks and herds and crops and vineyards and all these all these kinds of things. So... Um, in one short visit to Egypt, the wealth of the wicked was turned over to Abram. Chapter uh, 13, verse 1 and 2. And Abram, this is a continuation of what we just read. And Abram went up out of Egypt, he and his wife and all he had, and Lot with him into the south. And Abram was very rich. In cattle, in silver, and in gold. This tells us the substance he had when he left Egypt. Let's turn to Genesis uh, 26. Genesis 26. There's a famine in the land. And Isaac decides that he's going to go to Egypt like his father Abram did. And when he got as far as the land of the Philistines, God told him to stop and stay in that land. God told him to stop and stay in the land of the Philistines. Verse 3. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with thee and bless thee, for unto thee and unto thy seed I will give all these countries And I will perform the oath, which I swear unto Abraham thy father. Now some people might say, oh yes, God said he would bless Isaac with spiritual blessings. Isn't this what people try to say today? Oh yes, I believe God wants to bless me spiritually. Uh Let's see what God meant when he said, that he would bless Isaac. Verse 12. Then Isaac sowed seed in that land and received in the same year a hundredfold and the Lord blessed him. And the man waxed great and went forward and grew until he became very great. For he had possession of flocks possession of herds a great store of servants and the Philistines envied him do you think the Philistines envied Isaac because of his spiritual heritage no No. (laughs) do you think they envied him because of his good standing with God No. no of course not they envied him because he had an abundance of crops flocks herds, a great store of servants, and it came from the Philistines land. The the Philistines were the unbelievers. The Philistines were the unbelievers. They had no covenant with God. All All these flocks and herds and servants, they came from the Philistines. Why do you think the Philistines were upset that he had taken all their possessions? The wealth of the wicked was transferred to the just. Uh, what about Jacob? You Remember the story? Uh, turn over a few pages. I think it's Genesis 31. If you have a crooked or unsympathetic boss that you believe is hindering the flow of God's abundance into your life, you'll be encouraged by this. Jacob, for 20 years worked for his father-in-law, Laban, who was a crooked cheat and a tightwad. Laban changed his wages 10 times. He lied to him. He told him, you work for me seven years and I'll give you my most beautiful daughter. When the seven years were over with, he did what you call the bait and switch. He didn't give him the most beautiful daughter. He gave him the, you know, more common daughter. So Jacob worked another seven years to get Rachel. At one point, uh, well, let's carry on with Genesis 31, verse 3. Where are we here? Genesis 31, 3. And the Lord said unto Jacob, Return unto the land of thy fathers and to thy kindred, and I will be with thee. So God tells him to return to the land of his fathers, and before he leaves, he explains to Laban's daughters how God takes the wealth of the wicked and gives it to the just. Look at verse 6. He's talking to Laban's daughters here. And you know that with all my power I have served your father, and your father hath deceived me and changed my wages ten times, but God suffered him not to hurt me. If he said thus, the speckled shall be thy wages, then all the cattle bear, bear speckled. And if he said thus, the ring straight shall be hard, thy heart, then bear all the cattle ring straight. Thus, God hath taken away the cattle of your father and given them to me God took the wealth of crooked, stingy Laban and gave it to Jacob and Laban could do nothing to stop it when he said he would pay Jacob and speckled cows all the calves came out speckled and then he switched it and said okay now I'm going to pay you he thought he'd get out of this now I'm going to pay you all solid colors solid colored cows. So what happened? All the calves came out solid colors. No matter what he tried to do, they all came out where he had to pay he had to pay Jacob what he said he would pay him. God made them all striped. If he said, I'll pay you in striped cows, God saw to it that all the cows were striped. Amen? So we serve the same God Jacob did. He's no respecter of persons. Let's look at one final powerful example of how God takes the wealth of the wicked and freely gives it to the just. We've already talked about how for 400 years Israel was in bondage to the Egyptians. God said to Moses, go tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And of course, you know, he wouldn't let them go and they kept coming back to him and God said, okay, I'm going to send a series of judgments upon the land. And they had frogs, and they had flies, and they had locusts. They had boils on their bodies. The rivers were turned to blood. Uh, And all of this, all of this came and still no release for God's people. The final judgment came with the death of all the living firstborn the firstborn of all animals, the firstborn of every family. On the eve of this judgment, God came to Moses with some very strange instructions. Here was Egypt, full of the dead firstborn of all living things. They've had boils. (laughs) They've had frogs. They've had flies. They've had locusts. They've had all these plagues. These, Egypt has been run, put through the ringer. Do you know what I mean by put through the ringer? Okay. They've been put through the ringer. And here the Israelites in the same country were not even touched. They were not even touched. They were unscathed. So here the Egyptian people, they've been put through the ringer. I mean, they, they have had it and Pharaoh still won't let Israel go so the unscathed Israelites God said go to the Egyptians and say to them we're leaving here now folks nobody had left that land for 400 years nobody had left that land their parents had left that land their grandparents and their great-great-grandparents Nobody had ever left this land. God said, you go tell them we're leaving this land. And by the way, would you give us all of your gold, all of your silver, and all of your jewelry? And guess what? They did. The Egyptians gave them exactly what they asked for. One day they were slaves, folks, and one day they went from slaves to millionaires Crossing the desert in one day three and a half million of them God gave them the wealth of Egypt when there was nothing in the wilderness to spend it on no shopping centers, no malls God provided for their food, their clothes didn't even wear out what was the real purpose? Exodus 15 tells us Exodus 15, 1 and 2. Uh, Then sang Moses and the children of Israel this song unto the Lord, and spake, saying, I will sing unto the Lord, for he hath triumphed gloriously. The horse and the rider hath he thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song. He has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will prepare him a habitation. That was the purpose for the transfer of the wealth of Egypt to Israel. To build a house for God. To build a tabernacle for God. A dwelling place for God. For God to take huge amounts of wealth from the wicked and give it to his people goes beyond the general teachings on prosperity and goes into a strategic period of time. This was a special time in history, where the nation of Israel had to be established. This time, God is giving us the wealth of the wicked, so we can build Him a temple, and not one that's made out of bricks and mortars. First Peter two five talks about living stones. We we make our ha- uh, we make up God's habitation. We're living stones. We're not bricks and mortar God lives in us now not in a building he lives in us we must discern the times we're in we can't be like slumbering Israel who missed the first coming of Jesus you know Jesus said to the Pharisees you can look at the sky you can discern what the weather's going to be tomorrow if it's going to be fair or if it's going to rain but you cannot discern the signs of the times And folks, we need to discern the signs of the times. There are many slumbering in the church who cannot discern the the signs of the times. Much of the church today is like slumbering Israel, but just like there was a group in Israel who did discern the times they were living in, there's going to be a special group in the body of Christ who do discern the times we're living in. And they're going to be informed, prepared, and eager to participate in the funding of the greatest revival that has ever happened. I hope that you can see from this study that there is more than enough wealth in the world right now to bring the entire world to Jesus. I hope you realize that the wicked have it. I hope it has become clear to you that God plans to take this wealth and give it to His children so they can abundantly fund every need of church and ministry that participates in the great end time harvest that is before us. Now before we leave, I want to give you one final verse from the New Testament, okay? We've looked at lots of scriptures from the Old Testament. Let's look at a New Testament scripture that supports this. James chapter 5. James chapter 5, verse 1 to 4. When is this next great worldwide transference of wealth from the wicked to the faithful going to take place? James 5. Go to now, ye rich men. Weep and howl for your miseries that shall come upon you. Your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver is cankered and the rest of them shall be a witness against you and shall eat your flesh as it were fire. Get this verse. Ye have heaped up treasure together for the last days. The wicked heathen are heaping up treasures for the last days. What makes the wicked rich weep and howl with sorrow? Losing control of their money. That's what makes them weep and howl. This scripture tells us that it is for the last days that the wicked rich are obsessively, unknowingly stacking up their wealth. Who are they stacking it up for? We've already read Ecclesiastes 2.26. But to the sinner he giveth travail to gather and to heap up that he may give to him that is good before God. This also is vanity and vexation of spirit. Psalm 73.3 foretells the fulfillment of James 5. Psalm 73 verse 3. For I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Verse 17, until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood their end. So what end did the psalmist see here in in, in, uh, Psalm 73? He saw that the wealth of the wicked is ultimately going to be snatched away from them. This is not a matter of luck. It's a matter of spiritual obedience to spiritual law. Faithfully bringing your tithe and planting the proper seed into good ground that will allow the flow of God's abundance into your life. No matter whose name is behind those uh, numbered Swiss bank accounts, the Bible says the gold and the silver belong to God. Haggai 2, 7-9, to and he intends for the faithful saints today to have that wealth for the glory of the end-time house, greater than anything the Old Testament ever saw. You are needed by God to help finance the final end-time harvest. God has definite plans to use the wealth of the wicked to bless your life abundantly, So you can abundantly bless others. And the ironic thing about this is also the wicked wealthy can be won to the Lord with the money that came from them. God's got this figured out, doesn't he? I mean, he is so smart, you know. He is so smart. Amen. So we're going to receive our tithes and offerings today.